Welcome to Aesthetics Mastery, the podcast that helps you raise the bar and thrive in your aesthetics career. I'm Dr. Tim Pierce. Hi, I'm Miranda Pierce. And today we're going to talk about all things jawline. Jawline and chins as well. Jawline and chins, same thing for me. Okay, interesting. Bob, let's dive in. So are you okay if I just ask you a lot of questions? Because we actually asked our audience for what they were interested in, in regards to jawlines. So should we just go ahead and ask those? Let's go for it. Fat. There's lots of stuff just for you, if you're listening, wondering um, what we're going to cover. We're going to cover to do with the aesthetics of the male and female chin and jawline. Um, what patients are actually asking for. We'll discuss fashion versus beauty, how you can use neurotoxins to improve jawline results, product choice, um, some jawline-specific side effects and risks that you must know about, and also where practitioners go wrong and where they get most frustrated. I know this from being a trainer and a mentor to many clinicians, that jawlines really frustrate some clinicians. So I'm going to go into exactly why I think they're frustrated and how we can move on from that. Um, and when in your career should you be learning this procedure? Okay. So I've had my jawline done, which was just the most amazing revelation. I friggin' loved it. Why is it an important part of the jigsaw of the face? Why do we need to even bother with jawline? Well, aesthetically, it's I think of it as one of the frames of the face. I, I think of the face as... Essentially, um, it's a picture that's about highlighting eyes and lips, but the jawline is an essential frame to that. I think hairline, jawline, eyebrows all kind of encapsulate the most beautiful parts of the face. And if they're in proportion, it's, it's, they accentuate it. And if it's disproportionate or lost or faded, then you just you basically experience it less. And from my perspective... I, when I think about, because I'm a layperson, not a clinician, when I think about jawline, I think it just all sucks, doesn't it? When you, as you get older, it just goes south, which is just, it feels like a real loss. Yeah, well, we're, there are actually, there are two different ways that jawlines are a big part of the aesthetics in, industry. One is the older person who wants their jawline back, and then there's the younger person who wants a more cut jawline. So mm. they're actually two different indications, really. They're related and the procedures are extremely similar, but essentially that's that's the difference so jawlines are the your jawline is the end point of lots of different processes of aging going to the first category the aging jawline is a result of many many things happening in the face and the neck um, it's not as simple as just losing your jawline your cheeks are probably smaller your you know your temples your buckle fat pad the you know all of the your skin quality all of that starts to contribute to a general change in the shape of your jawline okay and Interestingly, I think one of the reasons that we're talking about jawline is because it's had a real spotlight on it. I'm sure we'll come on to that later in terms of the controversy around how clinicians and non-clinicians are presenting their jawlines on, for example, Instagram. But I do think that the reason the spotlight has come on jawline recently is because it's a massive commercial opportunity, isn't it? It's, it opens you up to, for example, men. And if you... For example, at Skin Viva, we have or the vast majority of our clients are women. So with jawline, we can really look after the gents and, and give them that more chiseled masculine look. But also it's for the younger girls as well. So it's really a good commercial opportunity, as you say, for aging and for people just looking to be on the front foot and be um, almost to kind of peacock themselves, isn't it? Hmm. Well, it's it's transformative. Like if you if you don't have a good jawline and someone can give you a good jawline, it's transformative. It makes a 
really dramatic difference to your face and you can see it particularly on a well-lit photograph in such a way that people think wow i really want that it makes you look thinner you know for example mm. it makes you look athletic you know they're also it makes you look masculine or chiseled or um one of the more feminine versions defined would be the more feminine way of saying that but it's it it really is one of the big parts of beauty because it it almost hints at the rest of your body being healthy and athletic so mm. i think that's the reason why it's such a why it's such a driver um compared with something like lips which are still a massive driver but they don't they're not as much of a a big statement of health and beauty they they're still there i mean it's hard to compare the two but i think there's a there's an obvious way that reason why both for females and for males it's a it's a strong driver i think it's a bit like noses as well you can just genuinely see it really clearly on a before and after it's just you get the killer before and afters don't you and whereas something like cheeks it's a little bit harder the the work is more subtle you can still get great results but it's not as wow wham bam in your face so how do you find that patients tend to present so um there are those broadly speaking three categories you could think of the the aging female the young female and then i just think of men as a category of their own I, men tend to be a little bit less jowly not always um but it's it's the, a bit more often that a man wants more more of a masculine look um but you could also include the aging female and the aging male is quite similar in terms of how you deal with them um but all the others are, are slightly different so the aging the the young female is all around this instagram look it's definition it's looking it's looking basically slim cut athletic um healthy chiseled all those kind of words you can use and it's and it's also the proportions particularly a strong chin think of Jennifer Aniston that kind of I mean I'm showing my age talking about Jennifer Aniston but it's that it's that kind of that kind of beauty that's a bit more strong faced seems to be fashionable at the moment so a lot of younger people are asking for that there's been quite a few of the like the love island crew and people like that have been having the it's it's almost become i think like a calling card that you it's a particular type of look lips have this as well don't they um you don't i don't know if it is the case with anything else really and of course you can have big cheeks but they are just either big or small whereas for the jawline it's a particular type of look it's the contoured look basically it's the hyper contoured look that the younger generation are after and some of the older yeah okay and what's the ideal jawline from your perspective for a woman so now there's ideal and then there's fashionable because they are slightly different but technically um particularly if you start with the chin the ratio of the chin should be the same as the intercanthal distance the gap between your eyes but also of the width of your nose in mo- it's not always true in all in all races but in a caucasian face it's the width of your nose and width of your chin um if you then going on from the the jawline looking straight ahead the actual width of your jaw which you can probably see looking at the difference between us um is much should be narrower in a female you have a much more heart shaped face it's basically a smaller structure the jaw and the the gap between the gonial angles looking straight on uh, it should be narrower so that's relative also to your cheeks which is really important so there's one of the things that goes wrong with jaw lines is you can if you go for definition in the wrong face without looking at the face straight on you 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 also widen the jaw you do get your definition but you start to get um a masculinized look because the face gets squarer it should be approximately a 15 degree drop off if you look straight ahead at a female face to the angle between the most outer projection of the cheek and the most outer projection of the jawline 
So that should be angled slightly inwards. And a man, if you picture Brad Pitt, he's got a straight, mm. pretty straight line between his cheek, relatively small cheeks and strong jawline. I often think of um, the jaw a bit, as a bit like the female cheek. You know, if you want to be a more a better looking man, it's usually your jawline that would do that for you mm. rather than in a female. The first step might be your cheek. Interesting. So I immediately, my brain went to, well, how on earth are we going to measure this 15 degree angle? How can we cheat? How can we sort of, how, can we use a caliper? Yeah, a lot of these come from academic studies. Um, in practice, you don't get a protractor out and measure the face. I mean, patients like it if you do and you can show them, you can back up your claim for a treatment. The, the treatment that you're recommending by showing them that. But really what you're looking for is just to make sure that you don't make the yeah. gonial angle, angle wider than the cheek, for sure. If it's wider than the cheek, it looks horrendous. It's incredible. Unless you're a man, you look incredibly, you're an upside down triangle. And if it's, so it should definitely be narrower and that's the female shape, but up to about level is a, um, is a masculine shape. And what broadly, what products would you recommend for the jawline work? So you can make this as complex as you like, but it's the the main thing I always think about dermal fillers is emulating specific tissues, and the the tissue would be emulating would be bone. You're trying to give the shape of the bone underneath, so contouring is often that way. And for that, it's your thicker end of the product. So um, it could be ultra deep if you use a TSL range, or Juvederm Volux have a product specifically for um, jawlines. Juvenile Volox is the product specifically for jawlines. And I just think of them as emulating the shape of bone. So they're stiffer, harder products. Um, but there are also fat pads you might want to replace. And these days I might use something like Voluma or a volumizing product that you might use in chin. So up above the, um, the angle of the, the pagonian uh, where the fat pad shrinks, you might just replace that with a slightly softer filler. It's still part of the same treatment, still stabilizes the chin, but you're, not, you're emulating fat, not emulating bone. And for those of us who haven't yet used Volux, what's it like to inject? Is it a bit stiff? No, uh, Volux flows really easy. It's this combination of long and short chain hyaluronic acids, so it flows quite easily. It's not not what you expect at all. It doesn't it doesn't actually feel any stiffer to inject than probably Juvenum Ultra Three, one of the normal ones. Now. Again, from the client perspective, for me, the, watching the trends on social media, people get it with jawline. People are like, oh, yeah, I need my jawline, to, you know, whether it be to create that slimming look or, you know, whatever. But chins, chins feel like the kind of the forgotten cousin of the lower, lower face. And the reason I say that is from my personal perspective, I had four syringes in my chin because I really had that, that drop off and that kind of upturned chin thing going on. And when I had it done, it was so revelatory for me. I absolutely loved it, probably more than the jawline. So, why do we not? Why is the why you know why is the chin the the forgotten cousin? Well, um, I think it's. I don't. I don't know if it is. It's. I, it's so hard for me to answer that because I don't ever forget it. I love treating chins. It's from a customer point of view. Yeah, I think you just hear the word jawline and you think of your jaw. I, I don't. I don't think anyone minds if you do some injections on their chin while you're doing the jawline. I think it's probably maybe due to the language more than anything. Okay. Um, but it's absolutely part of your, ch it's the apex of your chin, it, of your jawline. So it's where it, where it all meets at a singular point. Um, I often call the chin the cherry on the bottom. Like if, in terms of beauty, you, you, you absolutely need that low point. Ooh, I like that. The cherry on the bottom. <laughs> okay, fab. So what would you tell us a bit more about clinically what you would do with chins so um chins you need to the, the 
depends which which class of client you're treating if they are younger people who want beautification i mean a feminine chin is fairly narrow you don't but you you're constrained by the proportions in all directions so if you make a chin too prominent anteriorly they look a bit masculine if you make it too long you you disrupt the the, the golden ratio where the lips should sit it ends up too far projected um what are the other ones? So if you make it a little bit wide, you make them masculine. So there are all sorts of ways that you can be restoring or augmenting a chin where it can look great from one angle and then slightly wrong from another angle. So you've got to appreciate from all three, from in a three-dimensional way so that you're, you're making little corrections that are, that hopefully none of them break a ratio. Okay. And what about this witch-like upturning that occurs? So yeah, I think that's related to fat loss um, in the menton, and you you're, you have a muscle there that's continuously pulling up on that. It does, and it's the only part of your face that rotates upwards. So the mentalis muscle is always pulling. If as you lose fat, it gets more dynamic, and it basically rotates upwards, and you lose the cherry on the bottom. So you lose the the heart shaped face of your heart shape to your face, um, and if you then replace volume there, then you can stabilize that as well as then actually kind of pin it in place i sometimes think of it that way by actually injecting the base of the, the mandible and where does botox come in how do we how does that work with the, the whole the whole jawline area so there are basically three different muscles that you can think of as related to the beauty of your jawline you have um first there's a muscle that you can shrink so the um the big master muscles that you chew with in some people they're quite protruding um definitely more common in Chinese faces very for some reason have genetic predisposition to actually get a very bulky muscle and you'll occasionally meet a, a female who's projected outwards they look a, a little bit fat but they're actually not and you can get an amazing difference from shrinking that muscle so that's the first part is that you can feminize a face by shrinking that muscle and make it look slimmer um, the next one is your platysmal band. So the platysmal band starts to hide the angle of the jaw. So it's a way of getting more definition. If you relax the muscle um, that is overlapping the jawline, you then start to see more of that. It's almost like there's a negative pressure that will basically pull the skin back in once the muscle is relaxed. Right. So you can show more of the shape of the mandible underneath by relaxing that muscle. Um, and then you've got the mentalis, which is, as we've already talked about, is actually rotating your chin up. So it's removing that chin from the cherry from the bottom. And it's that um, you also get a complexity to the surface of the chin, like mm. a, an orange peel effect with little dimples. So you, you both improve the whole shape of the face and the surface of the skin by rotating the chin down with a little bit of, by stopping that muscle moving uh, with a little bit of Botox. And how, which of those, if any, is the Nefertiti lift? So Nefertiti lift is just a branding term for uh, the treatment of the um, the platysmal band. Okay, okay. And are there any particular side effects in this area that we need to be aware of? So it depends which treatment you're talking about. You've got Botox side effects, filler side effects. The From a, a botulinum toxin point of view, um, there are side effects for all these areas. Of, obviously, I'd say um, that we. I think we've done a whole podcast on on uh, advanced Botox, which mm -hmm. is worth looking up. So I won't go too much into that. From a filler side effect, you've got all your normal filler side effects, which are kind of general, and then there's anatomical specific risks. Um, one of the more interesting ones is the uh, injury to a salivary gland. Now, on our cadaver course, uh, I quite often will take people to actually have a look at the salivary glands and see what they're actually like to touch. They look a lot like fat, but they're very, very thin and very easy to tear with a cannula. 
and we, you can actually do this on, on one of the specimens and actually actually see they usually have some saliva in them and you can see what it's like to pop a cannula through. And then what you get is this buildup of saliva, unfortunately, after your treatment. So you get um, the difference between that and a bruise is, is the, there's, there's usually a lack of pain. It's not particularly painful. Sometimes it's associated with, associated with eating. Uh, and you, it looks like immediate swelling from a bruise, but there's just no discoloration to the skin. So that's the way to differentiate it. Um, thankfully, they tend to heal on their own, but it's to do with placement of the of the cannula when you, particularly when you're doing the the subzygomatic area as you're sliding over. If you're a little bit too deep, you get underneath the parotid fascia, and you're basically right in the in the salivary gland, and it's very very fragile. So one of the ways to avoid that is to just be aware of your layers and it should actually pass very easily when you're in the fat. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't be continuously hitting things and stuck, which is how it feels when you're a little bit too deep. Right, okay. So when do you find that practitioners tend to go wrong with jawlines? Um, I think they go wrong. The main way that I see people who are struggling going wrong is client selection. And I think that, I, mean, we'll, I think we're going to touch on this later, but it's it's partly down to the distorted idea of what's possible, which you can easily get by looking at Instagram the whole time. This has been very hot recently with um, a couple of high-profile people attacking the the amount of work that goes into producing the photograph versus actually doing the procedure um, and how that can distort people's perceptions. And jawline is probably one of the worst for this because it's incredibly easy, even unconsciously, as you try to move your patient and get them to do a good picture, to get either the lighting or the posi- position of the head in such a way that their jawline just looks loads better. And I know uh, Dr. Amy and Dr. Ahmed were, had a gap once and they were experimenting with this and they didn't do any procedure at all, but they took these amazing before and afters. Wow. And they were, we, we obviously didn't share. We should have shared them and, and showed people what we're doing, but it looked like the most amazing transformation and the only thing that had happened is a change of angle to the head. Wow. So even you can, especially if you crop out, the the angle here you can imagine um if you if you crop my head from here and i just ch- change the angle you can't see that my head's changing angle you just see you just see more definition when i do that or it's tilt in that way so it's incredibly easy to to create a wow result that's nothing to do with your injection technique and then clinicians who are earnestly trying to keep up with with all these amazing transformations will you know have a do a five five mil treatment on someone and, and be horribly frustrated because it doesn't look like the instagram picture and it's basically because they haven't learned to take pictures yet. And you mentioned the number of syringes there. Of course, this is different for everyone, but can you give the listeners a ballpark for a jawline transformation? Um, you can, you can, in the right person, it can be as small as one mil in a chin that's rotated up that makes their whole jawline look better. So that's, that's on, the, on the low end, but it is possible with a good product and, and very good client selection to make a good, a really significant difference at one mil. I'd say the average is more like three because you need to do a little bit, usually on the gonial angle, the chin, and maybe a little connecting component. Um, but you can go all the way, almost as high as you like, really. Um, if you want to make quite a bit, quite a petite male face, very masculine, you might put 10, 15 mils in eventually. Um, I wouldn't recommend doing that all in one procedure because it won't be that stable. But but there are, there are huge, you can do huge volumes. And what about clients who think who perhaps are overweight, or they think that this is going to be about creating a chiseled chiseled jawline from 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 
that basically what what's what, what should we say about that yeah unfortunately that's a major that's a major issue is that that it, partly down to the same pathology of these instagram pictures where they take someone who's slightly overweight ask them to change the head angle put two mils in and they look at this amazing result and in reality they haven't um so then the people who are like that i mean we've had probably a third of the people who book in for jawline have basically yeah. want to lose weight and they struggle with it and they think maybe the filler will give me the definition and you can sometimes do it in the right light at the right angle you can make a difference but as soon as they move their head and it's like you just don't see it so it, the client selection is huge in terms of getting a good result don't you can't give someone a chiseled jawline who's got a bmi of 35 like yeah. it's really hard and what about the relationship with the fat dissolving like aqualics and things like that could you end up with a situation where you have a fat dissolving and jawline treatment and get a great result yeah that's probably a more sensible way to do it if you if your main problem is fat um then at least you if you're working along the injectables route that would be a good thing to do you'd start with that and then do the probably do the filler later on so you mentioned earlier that clinicians are getting frustrated with jawline tell us a bit more about that well it's the combination of um unreasonable expectations and the fact that it is actually technically quite hard right so it's, why is it it's hard because it's a it's the whole lower third of your face really it isn't just it sounds simple chin and jawline but you're actually trying to sculpt the whole lower third of the face you can't even see the whole of the face while you're working on it so you get you i see lots of people make this error of um of getting the definition at the expense of basically front on it looks a bit odd you look masculinized so they as soon as you turn your head you think wow that's stunning as soon as they look straight on they have a bulkiness to their the frontal part of their i don't mandible. understand that well it's because you're you're trying to particularly if you're trying to if you're trying to restore the junction between the pregial sulcus you're trying to blend that in um if that's an older person or you're trying to create definition where someone's quite rounded you can create the definition but what does definition do you're projecting outwards so from the side you see the shadow you've right. congratulations you've 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 created a shadow so you get definition but as soon as you turn straight on you see that the face is wider right and from a feminine point of view if you've got a normal feminine face and you add three millimeters each side you see that straight away like it sounds like it's nothing really it's very easy to do but they just look slightly basically more masculine um, and there's obviously a realm where that might be okay and some people are actually looking for a, a, a slightly what's the word i don't know if androgynous is the right word but mm. there's, a, there's a hint no, of masculinity mean, yeah. kind of teenage boy type cut look um which is okay and then there's a point where it goes beyond that and you just look odd but we do have trans clients as well don't we who may be looking to go down the more masculine route yeah um that's that's one of the one of the key reasons you do a v like a, v a very big treatment would be someone who's actually trying to change their appearance. If if that is if jaw, because you can have actually surgical implants, which might make right. more sense for someone in that situation. Depends on their view and their appetite for risk and whether they're actually trying it uh, as a test um, before they do the surgical option. Um, but yeah, um, that's a common reason to do it. Probably not common, but it's one of the reasons we do it. And let's dive now into the the world of instagram you already spoke about the you know people doing this and you know adjusting their head angle yeah so let me ask you do you think people are doing that willfully do you think that people are literally thinking right i'm gonna get myself a nice before and after that's actually because i just think that's short-sighted surely if you get if you if you go all out and particularly with jawline i think with lips if you're gonna do the whole 
you know, get the lighting so it hits the uh, the border and then you've got your, your gloss and whatever. I'm not commenting on that, but I, I kind of, I understand why you would want to show the lips off to their best. But when it comes to jawline, if you put one syringe in and then get your customer to, you know, adjust their jaw so that it creates this false view then the next person who comes is just gonna be really disappointed and annoyed with you the fact that you couldn't achieve that so why do why do clinicians do this well um because it, it generates new inquiries basically and it makes you you feel better about the pictures that you put out so it's not always even conscious i think i don't think people are always I think sometimes you just keep taking pictures and you choose the best one. And yeah, that happens to be which we all do. Angle. We do that yeah. with selfies and stuff, don't we? I certainly do. <laughs> yeah, um, but there are. There's definitely a realm where there's 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 more effort going into the photograph preparation than into the procedure, um, and you you get the result, which looks like an amazing before and after, but it doesn't represent reality at all. Is there a way? Certainly, injection reality. Is there a way to let's say that we are a practitioner who wants to for it to be bob on and not for there to be no smoke and mirrors. Is there a way of, you know, achieving that? Like, how do you even get a human being to stand in the same place that they did for their before po- picture? Yeah, it's really, really hard. Because um, we we even have a little stand that you can stand to get the angles exactly right. Um, the the height of the person changes, the light outside changes it. There's all many, there's so many things that make it really hard to get exactly right. Unless you have a, basically a room dedicated to clinically perfect photographs then you end up with a variety that you... So it's very hard to get technically perfect results in the photograph. Um, but also, I don't think that's actually the motivation. Most most people want the best possible angle on the, on the treatment that they've created, and which isn't necessarily wrong, but it's it does, it does cre- and of course, create this uncertainty around what's really possible. Sure. And of course, the other element that's going on here, and perhaps the reason why clinicians, more non-clinicians might want to shall we say put a good light on it is because clients often don't want to spend the bigger numbers that they need to in order to actually get the real results so tell us a bit more about that is there other ways that we can sort of quick wins that we can overcome that to really manage their expectations yeah there's a there is a problem with um with the cost because it's very easy to get to very large amounts getting uh, a great result so then what happens is clinicians are really trying to save a bit of money by buying cheaper product. I've even heard of people mixing it with saline, you know, on the basis that, oh, it's fine, but also clearly it's not going to last as long. Um, so, you, and then you end up with disappointed clients because you're, 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 you're basically not, you manage to get either a temporary result that, that looks great that only lasts a few months and then it loses definition because you've used really poor quality product that doesn't integrate into the skin very well or attracts a lot of moisture so they become slightly rounded. Um, or it's it, well it's that whole thing of like it may look great on the bed when they're lying back and you've taken a yeah. snap and they go home and they see that and it's a bit it's actually annoying because that's not that's actually not what they look like um so yeah it's it's very it's very hard i'd say that the main thing is i would take is the, the biggest reason i think the certainly the people i would I, would I mentor is that they're just not they're not consulting the client well enough into the bigger into the larger volumes that they need and they're trying to keep up with packages yeah. that are like three mil packages which which as i say can definitely work for some people but if you meet a five mil person who wants a three mil package you're in line for a disappointed client yeah so it's you just have to have enough talking in your consultation that people are aware of the spectrum of treatment that might be required and that you haven't promised them a package that's going to deliver a result but you can talk about 
the spectrum they may need to get the result that they want. And what about treatment uh, technique as well, injection technique? What part does that play in a good or a bad result? Yes, well, it's, it's the most important bit, obviously, is it's, that's the sculptural bit. So how, how are you actually placing your filler? Exactly where are you placing it and at what volumes to create the aesthetic goal that you're aiming for? And I have this thing at the moment thinking about technique, which is I think, I think too many people think if, they, if they've learned the technique that they will get the result. But really what, what actually happens in a, in a really experienced injector's mind is you continuously vary your technique to get the result that you're aiming for in your mind. So I, you don't just copy someone that you saw at a seminar three years ago doing an injection and just do that on everyone. Yeah. You, you've, you've got like seven or eight different versions of that and things that you do and it doesn't quite work. There's also an element of the journey. So um, this is also really not taught because... It's people really like the idea that I've got the formula. So you'll see, I've got the formula. It's the you know, it's the eight point lift. It's a nine point technique, whatever. And if you do this, you'll get this result, which just isn't true because their faces are too different. So really, what you do is you go on a journey and you you do your first pass, and it's mediocre. And then you have to dig deeper and you ask yourself something more. What what do I need to do? This hasn't done what I was hoping. I need to. I need to do something slightly different. And you and you and you think of some some other way of doing it. So, let me try a towering technique. So I've, I've done my bolus on the bone, for example. Let me try um, uh, to get more definition. I'll go a little bit superficial as a second pass. So some people they don't need that second pass. And some people do. You you have to continuously analyze each injection and make adjustments as you go along. And I actually always think. I've learned as I've gone on that it's in those moments of failure and disappointment that if you then try harder and think harder about how what could I do to make this better and then succeed, that's when you that's when you suddenly feel your your skills go up and you you now have your own technique, like your own journey through to increase the definition. Do you think that's because the, when you experience the disappointment, in other words, pain, like you you as an injector had experienced disappointment, you. You felt almost like a mini failure in that moment. That that pain makes you well. You could either run for the hills and think I'm no good at this, or you can double down and try and make it better. And the learning is better in that moment because you had the pain. Absolutely, that's a really good point. The 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 moment of frust- frustration that you then resolve is the best learning experience you'll ever yeah. have. I, I always I actually think that's what learning feels like. It's frustration and then a relief. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's it's it never just feels wonderful the whole way you're always like this is too hard i can't quite do it oh i did it amazing you know. <laughs> love that moment definitely what about the relationship between the lower half of the face and the upper third you know is the how how do they relate to each other and how what lessons can we learn there yeah i i really worry about the the increasing trend to sell jawline as a, as a package separately because I, I basically know from teaching and training and delivering treatments that you a, a high percentage of the time you need to do something in the upper third too and there's something around support and the cheeks lifting from the cheeks up and sometimes even the temple that is I think it's probably synergistic as in it, it's better when you combine a lift with support disproportionately better than just trying to support it so particularly in older people if you're trying to correct a jowl and you do all the work lower down you'll get you're much more likely to masculinize them to widen the jaw to create Mm. kind of slightly ill-defined fullness than if you've lifted and pulled from the other places and then supported because actually 
in theory, a lot of those particularly aging jawlines are worse because of the fat pad loss and then the slumping forward of the middle cheek fat pad that then causes the disruption in the jowl. So all the work people do just treating the middle labial fold um, it can improve people and they can be much happier, but it's not it's not the holistic way of doing it, which means ultimately they you get rid of the sign of aging, but they don't look as beautiful as they could as if you'd done the more holistic approach. But also, again, from a lay from my lay perspective, I know myself, I've had very gaunt temples and, and get them treated quite a bit. So but when I've not had my temples done, but then I have had my jawline, it, it just makes you look more I think more skeletal up top because you it's just compare it's a comparison it's like wow my jaw's on point and now my you know I'm looking really hollow in the top half yeah and these these different elements of um yeah that's a really interesting point actually the idea that definition as you get older particularly when you have other signs of volume loss you actually don't look younger or fresher so you might have a well-defined jaw but if you've got temple volume loss it somehow somehow you can look you can actually look older for your age so um i actually first noticed that at the face conference a few years ago and this case was presented and they i think it was all about cheeks and they, they did this cheek treatment and everyone had to guess her age before she came in and after and i everyone around was saying she looks older this is like she doesn't oh, no. actually look younger and it was because they hadn't done her temples and because they've highlighted it more <clears throat> yeah so the, the the increased definition if you increase the definition of a 45 year old who's slim increase the definition of their cheek possibly even their jawline and they've got other signs of volume loss that you only get with age like temples they actually weirdly look older even though they've got a beautiful shaped cheek in isolation within the context it's not good and this just going back to temples briefly because again i'm obsessed with temples i love them but i have to say when i get my temples filled i do feel a bit like i've just gone back to zero you don't get that kind of zing that you get with jawline and lips where you kind of like woohoo you know i've i'm looking great jawline you just you just go back to zero. like so if your if your temples are hollow and you're let's say you're minus five you just go back to zero and the reason I bring that up is because I think temples, people see it as not very sexy. Clients do not mention it. They're not like, hi, I'm here for my temples. You have to consult them into that. So again, it's a challenge, isn't it? Because if you're doing loads in the jawline, you know, cheek, whatever, buckle fat, you know, there's various things you could be doing. And now you're having to say to them, look, your temples are going to look worse. You're going to look more skeletal. Then that's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it's a, it's a restorative treatment rather than a beautification. Beautification is in its essence is much more exciting yeah and um you feel much there's a difference between restored and beautified it's, it's profound really yeah but how can we how give us a tip for how we could explain it to clients so that they do buy into the need for temples um you just need to describe it in such a way that they understand the, the negative aspect of not having it treated so you might say you look skeletal or some or something like that or that you can't do the cheeks until they've been um, until they've been restored obviously it, you've got to word yourself very carefully and yeah. talk about the concepts of beauty i wouldn't just walk up to someone and say you look skeletal um, yeah. i would you would you would first get them to unite around the common goal which is i want to look good for my age and then with that you have permission to talk about the things that might be holding someone back okay what could be done to improve definition so yeah definition is the I think it's the thing that annoys people the most and putting aside the Instagram uh, disillusionment um it's it's sometimes around trying too hard inferiorly so you're actually trying to inject the whole time to get definition um rather than trying to lift and support so particularly underneath the 
the, the zygoma, pulling from, from subzygoma or the preauricular area, replacing that fat, fat pad often pulls down here. Same with cheeks. So it's, it's the lost volume above the jawline is, is probably one of the most commonly missed parts. That and then you're trying to com accommodate the whole time. We're adding more filler here, and, and filler isn't always great at creating definition. Um, the other thing would be depth of injection. So you can layer at different different depths. You can create better definition by placing the product in different layers. So you can you can emulate the deeper fat with a with a thicker product, and then you can you can go a little bit more superficial with a cannula or a needle, and just add a little bit more and get a bit more definition. And if I um sort of at an intermediate level in my let's say I'm a clinician and I'm looking to up my skills let's say I've been doing lips cheeks and you know maybe I've done a bit of cannula work and I'm looking to add on chin and jawline what should I be looking for in that training um well one of the the things I that I'm very aware from a, someone who contacted me is that if you just kind of watch one procedure and then they're off to do other things I mean there are, there are courses now where you can do Virtually, they claim to do everything in the afternoon, like you have a lecture and then you do like all these different noses and cheeks and jawlines all in the afternoon. It kind of feels like great value. But if you've not actually seen some variety, um, you're going to meet someone who doesn't fit that. Very, the first person you ever meet won't, won't match the one that you saw on the course and you'll immediately feel lost because you haven't, you haven't got the decision-making algorithm. You haven't been taught how you assess and manage and vary your technique. Technique, so you get the impression that oh, there's just an injection, a technique. There's four injections which I'll do on everyone. That, a lot of courses are structured that way. Here's how you do. It used to be like that with lips, like four injections for lips, each quadrant. Ta-da. Um, the same with jawline. That anything that seems really simple, like there's only four injections, and I just do that on everyone. You haven't been taught the nuances at all. So it should feel fairly difficult to learn initially you, sh you should be thinking oh, what happens in this situation and what happens in that situation and you should be having those discussions with your tutor and all day is not is not long enough in many in many cases like you'd need you, you need you need to see kind of at least well i don't it, it depends on the variety of cases but i can tell you it's not one case yeah um, you need to be thinking about this for a long time discussing it have some discussion with the trainers afterwards as well present cases to people and, and talk to them if you have online access to online groups and things like that but crucially if you have a course that has you know hypidrosis nose jawline temples you know all, cheeks all the yeah, things vaginoplasty yeah and there's eight of the there's eight delegates and yep. you do theory in the morning and it's in the afternoon then you ain't getting that jawline probably you might not even touch a jawline literally you might not inject a jawline i mean is that is that acceptable yeah no you, you there's absolutely no way that the, the average injector will leave that thinking that was really interesting seeing that yeah. but I don't know how to do it but that, you that's, that's what you get it kind of feels fine like that's but it's when you're faced with the patient that you just get that horrible sense of being out of your depth yeah and what about before we even get to the injection point what about consult consulting as well how do we how do we learn how to consult well yeah, I always think it's a shame if they don't teach you that. For me, that's the best bit. So we're always we always encourage our trainers, and they all love it as well. Which is to actually go through the the components of the story, what the patient's noticing and seeing, and then start to design your treatment specifically around that story. Uh, and then you get the joy of actually of actually seeing their psychological transformation too, because they they relate what you've done to what they're really really after, which isn't always the thing that they say. Um, it's the story behind it. So yeah, you, you're missing out a lot if you don't do the consultation. But probably the biggest thing is that you risk 
you risk overpromising. If it's like if people are booking in for jawline and having a jawline injection, you're going to disappoint 50% of people because jawlines are much harder than that. Um, so it's that the the discussion where you start to lay out the the potential um, the potential that you think you're capable of, and when you're not very experienced, you just have you must downplay things. Generally, you might get a good difference. You should be able to see a difference in a picture, but you might want more. It's all those kind of yeah. not over promising things. It's way better to under promise and over deliver um, than the other way around. And if what would you recommend to me if I was an injector? Like, what would you be looking for me to have done? Like, for example, how many treatments are you looking for me to have done or what type of treatments before I come on, for example, skin trainings, gels and jawline course? Yeah, if you, if you do it, I mean, you certainly can't do it backwards. If you're not doing, like our mastery program is designed to take people all the way through and then integrate everything into, um, into the, and so you can do a whole face, but not just do the injections, but actually it's like a Rubik's cube trying to solve a face and, and you're, you would be able to know when you need to lean a bit more on cheeks to get the result and when you need to lean a bit more on the chin and when it's about the lateral jawline, when it's about the buckle fat pad, you're, you're, it's much more complex eventually. But if you're, this industry is more built around individual courses at the moment and if you're going to do that, you definitely shouldn't do it too soon because, for example, we, we wouldn't even even entertain the idea of you doing it before you've done foundation and cheeks and lips because you can't be trying to solve all your problems without doing any cheek treatment you just end up with some very heavy lower faces um, and not a good result but interestingly we do at skin training we do get requests from uh, medics wanting to go straight to jawline interestingly we definitely get that with lips so it's very much a skin baby training. You come, you do the foundation, which is your marionettes and your nasolabial and, and your, your foundation Botox. And then we're looking for 10 treatments. Then you come on your lip and cheek and it goes like that. Um, and jawline is very much an advanced course at the top. But we, I, I think it's just, it, I don't blame those people who think they can jump straight up there. I think it's just that they've, they've heard about it because it's, it's sexy, isn't it? Jawline is sexy. Jawline is wow. Um, and so it's understandable that delegates would want to skip ahead. But I think you're saying, you know, take your time or else you might not get the best out of your training course. It might be a waste yeah. of time. I, I think that a lot of that comes from the, this, you, it's, you see it all over the industry. It's the idea that you can, you can build a face out of components and they're all separate and you can just stick some jawline on and you'll get a jawline. You can stick some cheeks on, you'll get some nice cheeks. Whereas the reality is it's, it's one structure that's related and built, it's linked together. So you, it's, you, can't, you, can't just, you can't just have a great jawline without doing cheeks at least a third of the time, probably more than that, probably 70% of the time I would do some, some sort of lifting unless they're very young. Um, uh, and and even then you've got to you've got to relate it to your lips and you've got to understand the f- feminine and masculine faces and it's much more complex. It's this idea of that you just need to know where the injections go and you'll be fine. Yeah, like that is that is five percent of the skill of being a good aesthetic clinician is knowing where the injections go. Yeah, that's it's so interesting. Um, okay, is there anything else you wanted to tackle with jawlines? How about cannula? Let's just talk briefly about cannula versus needle. Yeah, so um, needle allows you to place it deeper onto the periosteum. I think it gives it a bit more stability. Um, You can try and do that with a cannula too, but it's a little bit harder. As a general rule, cannulas stay in the fat. Um, Needles can get a little bit deeper and more superficial. Um, So needles have their role for deep, 
um, heavy like bone emulating injections and they also have a role for maybe more superficial defining injections i know uh, dr amy when she's really struggling to get definition came up with this this once you've done your deeper injections she'll layer a couple of uh, linear threads near the surface with a with a relatively thick product but she's very experienced to, to give a bit more definition so that's where you might use a needle um, cannula is generally what I'd use for most of it, particularly underneath the zygoma, the preauricular area, you're never going to stick a needle there. You can at the gonial angle use needle. Um, and along the along the angle of the jaw is just way less traumatic if you can do most of your product with a cannula. Okay. A couple of more questions from colleagues who responded to your, your shout out on social media for questions. Um, we have a question here concerns with masseter injection and bone reabsorption yeah it's a really interesting question so we we already know from the, how the human body works generally that if you don't put pressure on a bone it actually thins out your body says well clearly there's not there's the you don't need the strength here so it'll stop supporting the the um the strength of that bone and you will reabsorb calcium so you get that in astronauts who float around in space for too long and you get that if you remove a tooth the, the bone disappears if you uh, basically anything if, you, if you're not putting weight through it. So it does make perfect sense that you would expect that if you're not putting as much power through the uh, through the mandible that the bone would reabsorb, and particularly in isolated places. So you might still be chewing as, as heavy as normal, but maybe you're just not pulling on that most inferior part of the border, and so you might lose a bit of bone there. Now, the, the question is, how is that significant? It could... I don't, I'm not aware of it being clinically significant. Like someone, I've never heard of anyone chewing whose jaws just suddenly broken because they had Botox. Um, and it, you would think that wouldn't happen precisely because of the way that bone responds to the pressure. So if there's enough pressure there to chew, you can have an, a, a bone that's strong enough to chew. Um, what's more interesting might be in terms of the long-term aesthetic effect, because one of the signs of aging is that your jawline, you do lose bone here regardless of whether you've had Botox. It's one of the, one of the ways they age skeletons is the female face in particular, you lose the sharp angle and it becomes rounded because the gonial angle atrophies, basically. It gets resorbed. So could it possibly accelerate that? I think it's a reasonable idea that might maybe it can. Um, I don't know if it's going to be very significant. Um, I've, also, I've also noticed in people who've never had Botox that sometimes in older people, when you inject the gonial angle, it does actually crumble. So you can actually sense this crumbling wow. bone. So it's quite... It's a little bit disturbing because as you're going in expecting to hit something hard, it's kind of hard and then it slips a bit through. And I've, I've only had that on postmenopausal women. So it's, uh, I think it's possible. Um, I don't know if it's, if it's going to matter or not, but it's a great question. And it, I wouldn't be surprised if it does increase bone reabsorption. We also have a question here. I would like to know how to inject uh, to firm the jaw and how does that influence if masseters need doing two? So, for, I mean, firming the jaw, I presume that's that's sounds to me like emulating bone. So it's that idea of using a, a thicker, stronger product that feels um, that feels like bone, but also just by adding volume, your skin feels firmer. So for a lot of people, it's really interesting. Like we had that lady who um, who hated the feeling of of she was blind, so she couldn't actually see her face. She hated the feeling of skin laxity. So she um, she actually wanted treatment, so it felt better. In her case, it was Voluma. Um, but you could use a product that emulates that well. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's those thicker, heavier products for jawline. The question around the master, um, 
it's I don't know if it's strictly related to the question it is really important to know that if you shrink a master you're losing volume and volume loss is one of the reasons why your jowl descends yeah so be very very careful injecting someone's master who's got even the slightest sign of a medial fold right. because as soon as you shrink that the skin can slump forward and you end mm. up they look older and they will come back I promise yeah you. so then you'll, you have, then you'll have to replace it on I think at your cost probably unless you've consulted them to it so that they you can support that while their muscle reforms um, that's common with kind of people having treatment for bruxism rather than for yes. aesthetic reasons yeah Fab, thank you so much. A good whistle-stop tour of the jawline issues, good and bad, uh, the benefits and the pitfalls as well. Skin Viva Training, we have an amazing jowls and jawline course and chin indeed. And we actually have um, some slots on the 3rd of December. That's a Tuesday. So if you're interested, please do drop us a line. You can email info at skinvivatraining.com or you can drop us a comment below on wherever you are consuming this podcast and we would look forward to speaking to you. Um, But yeah, thanks so much. Thank you very much for listening. Um, Any questions, obviously contact us on social media. You've got uh, the Skin Viva training page, my page, Dr. Tim Pierce, uh, which is on Instagram and Facebook. And we love to ha- have questions and this podcast on SoundCloud. If you can review us, that'd be great. We've got a few reviews coming through now, which is great. On iTunes. On yeah. iTunes, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks.